for just about everything for the outdoors. Go to MidwayUSA.com. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Happy Tuesday, everybody. Today is July 25th, 2023, and uh, today's episode is 312. I am your host, Aaron Blasey. I am doing the intro today by myself. Uh, my co-host, David Riley, is not with me, but he is with me on the podcast. Today's podcast is with one of my good friends, Chad Johnston from Iowa. Now, um, in a in short form, Chad is one of the best killers that I know and gets on upper age class, upper echelon deer, uh, you know, just because he has done it for a long time and he is very knowledgeable. He's never been on a podcast. He's never talked on media form like this at all. Um, he did really good. I've known him for a while and he just has so much knowledge, I feel like, that uh, to put out there. You know, nothing groundbreaking, but it's just cool to see, you know, how he was brought up and how he got into hunting and how it kind of morphed into what it is now. And, man, he's killed some slammers. He's killed a typical 184, I believe it was, a typical 10. He's killed 182-inch deer, a 175, like a 172. He's got, I mean, he just... He's got a knack for it, and he does it in all different shapes and forms. Like he'll tree stand hunt, he'll spot and stalk. He, you know, whatever the whatever the application at the time needs to be performed, like he does it, and he does it at a high level. What I like to equate to him is like in baseball terms. So when you have a prospect that you know could be like a five tool player, that means they can do it all like pretty darn well. Um, it, that doesn't come around very often in baseball. So like Chad is like, I think one of those kind of guys where he, he's got multiple tools. 
he might not do one thing just extraordinary. He just does everything really well and gets the job done. So that's going to be today's podcast. And this is a long haul. We do a we do a, a long deep dive and just get into really good conversations and some funny stories. I've hunted with Chad in the past. Um, the great Hambino, my 186 that I killed in Iowa. I actually was with Chad when I killed that deer. It was on one of his farms uh, that we you know, he helped get us at least farm basically, but if it wasn't for him, I wouldn't have been able to kill that deer. So, um, yeah, this one's going to be a great episode. So I'm going to, I'm going to try to make this, this, uh, intro short and sweet. Let's get to some partner reads real quick. But first, uh, if you guys are looking for any fall podcast merch, go to fallpodcast.com. Check out the hats, hoodies, shirts, all that stuff. I'm uh, I'm getting ready to figure out what hats we want to restock for the fall. So the hats are getting low. So if you guys want a hat, get in there and get one, but go to fallpodcast.com and, and do that. So next is Latitude Outdoors. If you guys are looking for, you know, the new Carbon SS climbing sticks or a new saddle platform, um, the Classic 2 single paddle, the Method 2 uh, two-panel saddle, anything like that, ropes, carabiners, go to the website latitudeoutdoors.com and use the code the fall podcast and save some money on your next order check out the in sessions podcast latitude latitudes in session podcast on fridays and also go to latitudes youtube channel because uh, we're dropping our digital series grit and the hunt recaps every friday so check that out next helix broadheads use the code fall hx10 to get yourself a pack or multiple packs of single bevel Helix FJ4 or FJ2. So FJ4 has the bleeder blade. Uh, measure your recovery in seconds. They're dependable, they're accurate, and they penetrate like a beehive. So um, get in there. Go to helixbroadheads.com. Use the code FALLHX10 for that. Next, Exodus Outdoor Gear. If you guys are looking for arrows, cameras, uh, go to exodusoutdoorgear.com. Use the code TF, okay? TF for the rest of the year. The code should work. Use that code. They have a five-year no BS warranty with theft and damage coverage. The rival or the render cameras, they're dependable. They are long-lasting. And like I said, you have a five-year warranty. So you know you're going to have that camera for at least five years. So uh, go to exodusoutdoorgear.com and check that out. And also, hashtag VelvetFest is going on. So when you guys get pictures and thing and post it on social, make sure you do the hashtag VelvetFest and uh, go to their website also and sign up for the newsletter so you can be informed with everything that's going on as soon as it goes on. So Garmin is next. Uh, if you go to Garmin.com, you can check out their A1, their A1i, or their A1i Pro bow sight. I'm shooting the A1i Pro this year. I don't have a code or anything for that, but these things really need to be checked out. I've been getting a lot of inquiries on these, and I think in the last, I counted them up. In the last 10 days, I've got 12 people reach out to me saying that they're going to buy Garmin's. I greatly appreciate that, and I I am a firm believer that these are going to make you a better archer in the moment of truth. They're going to build your confidence and everything. They might feel a little intimidating or daunting at first, but trust me, there's literature and there's there's videos out there on YouTube and everything that helps do the setup, it, and it walks you right through it right on the site. So go check them out at Garmin.com, and also if you're looking for a watch, uh, I'm using the Phoenix 7, I believe it is, watch right now. Um, any, any watches on there, they're going to have just about whatever you want. So go check them out. Get a watch as well, or an InReach Mini. I use an InReach Mini on a lot of my hunts, so... That is something uh, 
that Garmin will supply you with. Next is Buck Bourbon. We uh, talked about this last week. Buck Bourbon, they have a new food plot seed line. So I recommend you go to buckbourbon.com and checking out their food plot seed line. They got a clover, they got a chicory, they got a brassica blend. Um, go there, use the code TFP20, and you can also uh, pick up a, a ground blind, a rack house ground blind 300 plus. I've been using them in turkey season. I'm going to put them out for, for deer season as well, just for, you know, an option, you know, in, in a certain area where maybe I want to get my daughter out hunting and uh, it'd be perfect for that. So go to buckbourbon.com, use the code TFP20 for that to save some money. Next is Prime Archery, shooting the RevX2 this year. Everybody knows that. I got the Morale Riser with the black limbs. This thing is shooting unbelievable. Actually, tomorrow starts our league, so we will be doing leagues for the next 10 weeks uh, at our local sportsman's club. I say we, my buddy Kevin Gross and I are going to be doing it together, so we're going to be putting those bad lads to the test, shooting 25 or so arrows a night at targets, 3D targets through the timber. Uh, it's going to be a lot of fun, so that should be fun. Go to g5prime.com and check out their new bows. Lastly, America's Best Bowstrings. If you guys are looking for a, you know, getting into a new set of strings or need to update and everything, go to americasbestbowstrings.com. They have a string builder right on their website. You can pick out what colors you want, what serving you want, and everything, and uh, they'll make it and they will ship it to you. I have, I've been shooting these uh, platinum series strings since 2019, and and I still have yet to have a set that, you know, you know shrinks on me or you know or anything like that and there's no peep twist or rotation nothing like that I, these things have worked flawlessly so use the code the fall at americasbestbowstrings.com to uh, get yourself a new string so other than that guys uh it's short and sweet today we're going to get into this episode with chad thank you for all the support and all the downloads go to itunes leave a five-star rating and leave a written review. Do the same thing on Spotify. It helps us in the rankings. We want to jump up in the rankings going into the fall. So uh, thank you guys very much. And uh, here's this interview with Chad. All right, welcome back to another episode of the Fall Podcast. And today I've got a good friend of mine, Mr. Chad Johnson on. Chad, thanks for coming on today, man, and taking the time out of your busy, busy day, because I know you're busy all the time, to uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. talk with us. <laughs> no problem. Yeah. So Chad, uh, you know, I've known you a while, so I've, you know, I, I was trying to remember when we met, I want to say it was like 2013 or 14. I just cannot remember. I've been there, you know, you're in Iowa, so I've been there a couple times and, um, I just can't remember how long ago it's been. Do you remember? No, I was thinking about that today just before this. And I don't, I don't remember, but it's been, it's been a long time. We've shared some good memories. <laughs> yeah. Mike, I mean, Bo, those kids were little when you started coming down here. Yeah. You know, so, yeah, it's been quite a while. Yeah, I mean, shoot, I think Matthew – so your, your two boys, Matthew and Bo, I think Matthew was – man, he – I don't even think his – his balls had dropped at the point at that time, to be honest with you. Now he's like out of college and stuff. <laughs> yeah. Now he's living on his own. So he's 21 now. So, yeah, yeah. It's, it's been a long time. It's been yeah. 10 years easy. For sure. Well, I'm glad to have you on today. I mean, you know, I've, I've been talking to you about doing this for years, and finally it's just like we got to get it done because, in my opinion, you're one of the the – most well like you have so much knowledge about big deer and killing big deer and 
you know, you've done it at a high level for a very long time. And to me, you're a guy that like, you know, in the media world and the outdoor world, nobody really knows. And to me, that is like something really cool because I mean, your track record, you've killed some absolute giant deer and you know, for good reason you are in Iowa, but yeah, you, you know how to get on. I feel like those upper echelon bucks. Um, and that's what I want to kind of get into today. Yeah, no, that, that's, you're right. We're, we're in the prime, you know, the prime spot, Iowa, no people yeah. and lots of deer. Our, our deer population outnumbers the people by probably twice. Yeah. So, well, it, and, you know, now I tell people too. So for everybody listening, um, the great Hambino has been a big staple in the fall podcast and everything. I was with Chad when, you know, it was one of Chad's farms that I killed that deer on. So he played a really big role in that deer and, and I've learned a lot from him. Um, basically, and we'll get into the story and how I met you, and and we'll kind of go through the whole gamut in a little bit. But um, that deer, like, it, it was wild. First of all, that I even killed it. But second of all, that you know what I'm getting at is I would tell people that the only people I would see on the road is either the mailman or a local farmer. Like that's literally. I think there's more people that bow hunt in the state of Michigan than the, than people that live in the County that killed that deer in. Oh, by far. Oh, yeah. <laughs> by far. Yeah. People don't realize what rule is until they come see me for a while. I have guys <laughs> that I've taken shotgun hunting. And we're driving down the road and the guy's like, oh, you can tell me seriously, are we really in gun season? And I'm like, yeah, there's just, there's no people. And it goes in spurts. Some years there's nobody. Some years, there's guys, you know, but yeah, like, like you said, it's just, there's no population. There's nothing to keep people here. Yeah. Chad, Chad had a, he just said like a sentence a while ago that would, would have been the perfect t-shirt. And I forget the exact words, but he said something about we're like, no people, more deer or something like that. Yeah. It's like, perfect, dude. Where do you live? Yeah. I live in, I live where there's no people and more deer. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> the deer outnumber the people. That's for sure. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> So Chad, um, kind of give us from ground zero that nobody, you know, nobody that knows you, like kind of how you grew up in Iowa and, and where you're at and, and basically what you do now. So I, I grew up eight miles from where I live on the west side here, southwest Iowa. We grew up on a small farm, real small farm, you know, toughing, tough farming through the 80s, through the 90s where it broke pretty much all the farmers in our area, you know, and we were one of them. And it went to where from being farmers to, you know, my parents were dead set. You were not going to be a farmer. You were going to do something else because there was no money in it, you know, back in those days. And only ones that stayed were family farms that ran pretty deep or, you know, had the money flow to make it work. So I, I left and I went and I did construction. You know, my parents, they stayed and they each got a job, you know, and did other things and I, I did construction which left me led me to be self-employed which was a bad thing if you were you know you're a deer hunter because come November it's hard to go to work you know in the mornings when you have you're self-employed and you have the option to just nobody yell at you to go to work and it was it was bad for a while I mean the, the hunting just takes over and you there was times I didn't go to work. I'd just go hunting, and it was, it was, it was bad. I'm not going to lie. It's, yeah. it's like an addiction. People say it's an addiction, and when you have the choice to go to work when you're self-employed or go archery hunting, 
I'm going archery hunting. I can go to work <laughs> later. Yeah. <laughs> I'd tell you what, Chad, yours that exact story right there. When when I was growing up, my my grandfather and my uncle, the the two people that got me into into uh hunting, they owned a construction company my entire life and they they worked their asses off year round, but I from when October first hit through Christmas, they didn't work. Like there was yeah. no work. Like they, they just hammered out, you know, the, the other nine months out of the year, but they knew that cause they knew come, you know, October, right. November and December, they were traveling and they, they did not want anything to do with the workers all hunting at that point. Yep. And it, you know, as far as like where I lived, the outdoor work, when you're working outdoors in construction, it did slow down when you got to the winter months and the colder months. So you could see things start to slow down. You try to save your inside work, you know, for the fall or the winter, but yeah, just like you said, you know, when that last week of October comes for two or three weeks, you're not going to do anything but go set in a tree. Oh, yeah. And, and that's what a, the way it was for years and years. Even when I had kids, it was the same way. I would drag my kid with me, my oldest boy, Matthew. I would take him with me in the tree stand. And that, that's, I think, what made him the deer monster that he is because he, he would skip school. He was worse than I was and at a younger age, and he's, it's kind of never really left him. Mine didn't mm-hmm. start that bad until I was a little older in my 20s, but he's been that way since he was a little kid, and I think that's because I drug him with me, mm-hmm. you know, everywhere I went, and he's he's got it bad. You you created a monster with Matthew <laughs> because Matt. So you said Matthew's 21, and um, I actually just talked to him on the phone not too long ago. We still stay in touch and everything, and Matthew, as a 21 year old, has he has got the it factor in my opinion he he i don't know he's how many deers he killed in the 180s uh, several on the wall i mean all these kids probably four i suppose i mean yeah i put yeah. my kids on 170 inch minimum because i don't want to pay the taxidermy bill no more yeah like a lot of those deer behind chad dj that you're looking at those are a lot of matthews and bows deer and yeah. you know and matthews just got that like i said he's he just got it you know and he he's a killer like you get him in the moment and he's gonna kill the damn deer and he's gonna get on those one percent of bucks in the area that's just yeah. it, it's it's crazy to see the kid and 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 for him to do what he does it's i give him shit all the time because when i did kill the hambino so you gotta think Matthews lived there his whole life. He had never killed a deer that was like, I think his biggest deer he killed that same year I shot mine was 185. He killed. Well, I come to Iowa of my first trip there and killed a 186. So I said, Hey, that's like a dude just show up for a couple days. You know, you've been yeah. your whole life. And this Michigan boy yep. comes in here and beats you and he just got a kick out of that. So, oh, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, you know, those, those guys that no matter what they do, they just are, they're lucky. You, mm-hmm. you can just put them in the tree right here next to the lodge, and they come back in 30 minutes, they killed a 160-inch deer. I mean, since he's been a little kid, that luck has always been with him. I, I can remember having guys here in camp, and, you know, you don't want – I don't want to kill a bigger deer. I don't hunt when my, my guys are here, but you don't want your kids killing big deer when you have clients in camp, you know, because they think, well, your, your kid kills all the big deer. Or you guys take all the big deer. So I try to put him in bad spots, you know, and then he calls me, dad, dad, you got to come see what I shot. I'm like, oh my God, you got to be shitting me like 168 <laughs> inches. And I got to come drag it back. <laughs> we ain't seen a deer in there in 
a year and he shoots 168 inch deer out of there. Well, and the so, thing with Matthew though that that I like is that at a younger age, like he kind of like he broke away from you in a way where you, he's yeah. like, I'm going to take the initiative and go get my own farms. And now he's got like his yeah. nucleus of his own farms that he, yeah. you know, and that's, what's cool about it. And, um, but well, they were, they were also told that, you know, you can't hunt my stuff. Yeah. You guys have got to go find other stuff to hunt because there just ain't enough deer for everybody to be killing them all. So you, you know, yeah. we've had to spread out and, and they both of them, Bo has places he likes to hunt, and Matthew has places of his own that he likes to hunt, and he killed that hammer last year, you know, on that place, and they're giant deer. Yeah. yeah. Well, and for everybody listening, too, before we get – people might be thinking, like, I didn't even set this up, but Chad has his own outfitting business in Iowa called Midwest Antler Company, and we'll get into that. But, you know, you've got your own farms that you get for just clients and everything. Yeah. And then you've got some family farms that you and the boys hunt, and then they go get their own farms as well. So I just wanted to paint that picture. Um, yeah. So, or there might be some confusion, everybody listening. So, David, what were you going to say? I was I was going to ask Chad, you know, now that the boys are getting older and you look back at, you know, their upcoming years of, of hunting and learning from you and maybe even learning from guys that are in camp there, but watching them go off and get their own pieces of ground and find success on, on, you know, yeah, we could take away the inches out of it, but they are very high caliber animals. Like how rewarding is that for you to see that nowadays? Yeah, it's, it's pretty good. It's pretty good. I used to give them hell all the time because when we would, I would take them hunting and I would set with them. I filmed a lot of their hunts, you know, we have a lot of that stuff on, on footage and they would shoot a nice deer, a big deer. And I would give them hell. Like, you know, you didn't tip your guide. Yeah. <laughs> you didn't even say thanks you didn't do anything which i just give them hell but you know it's it's good for them to have to ask permission or to find their own place you know in the hunt and they they like the whole part of setting up the tree stands you mm -hmm. know they like all of the same stuff that they grew up doing which i made them help me i mean they worked for me setting up all that stuff and now they can just go do it and sit on their own and that that for both boys that was about 12 years old yeah. when they didn't want to hunt with their dad no more and it was more i want to go on my own i want to shoot my own stuff i don't i've been told i don't i don't i don't want you to go <laughs> i'm gonna do it by myself i'm gonna go by myself yeah you know? now i got a I got a question to kind of piggyback off that you know watch them come up through the years and now where they're at now would you say that their their hunting styles i'm guessing is probably very similar to yours yourself but do you see them doing anything that's like has caught your attention that they may do differently than what you have done? Not really. There's not a whole lot I haven't done or tried. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, uh, no, Matt, Matthew was a big spot and stalker, you know, and I, I was too. I, I had a hard time setting sometimes when my ADD kicks in and I got to go and we killed some big deer on the ground and he killed some big deer on the ground at, at a young age, which I was pretty impressive, you know, junior in high school. And he, I watched him the spine scope spot and stop and kill, you know, just a hammer. And it was, it's just like watching yourself kind of do it all over again, you know, and for the most part, I've told Aaron this before, I haven't killed a deer since, uh, 2015 was a, actually the only deer I haven't drew. I haven't done anything. I haven't killed he a deer. He hasn't got his bowl out of the case. I try to get him out of the case every year and he won't. Yeah. No, I, 
it started clear back when them boys were, you know, hunting and I was filming them and going, sitting in the tree with them. I didn't have to kill a deer no more because just them killing the deer to me was just as good as, you know, me killing it. And I, I didn't want to kill it no more. And then now that's kind of, I'm through my youngest son who's 16, you know, and he's off on his own. I've went a few times with him, but same thing, you know, you went through, I went through two boys or five years apart. So the spacing was, I'd never had time or really didn't care to go for myself. Yeah. 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 Chad, I just, I, I thought it would be an interesting question because naturally like as, as my children get older and even though they may, you know, do a lot of things like myself or my wife, but I can sometimes, you know, like kids want to, they want to put their own spin on something like, well, I, yeah. I want to do it my way over, but also like they had to be growing up and seeing what actually was working and what wasn't working, you know? So it's like yeah. to have those kind of results, it's like, Hey, we gotta, we gotta keep doing what we were taught at a young age. I, I can remember uh, setting stands. We would set stands just all the time. You know, we've got like, I don't know, 250, 300 tree stands out. So we were constantly setting stands and these kids were, you know, they were little. Matthew would have been, eight and Bo would have been three and four. I mean, there we were, we were little kids going with me putting these tree stands. And I think Matthew was, I don't know, he, was, he wasn't he was 10. We got a big pine tree in our yard. And I love putting tree stands in cedar trees and pine trees. And I come out and he's up in that tree with a handsaw and he's cut the limbs out of our yard tree and had a lock on. And this is in our yard. And these don't, those don't grow back. So now on our side lot, we got this tree with this great big bear spot where he was a 10-year-old up there putting a ladder stand in the yard so he could set up in the tree. <laughs> That's when you know you've, you've created monsters that just want to kill everything. Yeah. Every, every uh, the few people that drive by, they, they look at it and they say, man, the, the power company must come through there years ago back when they had power lines running through the yard. Right. You get, you got that right, David. The very few people that drive by. Yeah. I mean, how many people live in your little town, Chad? Oh, bro. I don't know. 15. If that, I suppose. 15 I, people, right? Yeah. Like not 1500, like 15, no, no, 15 people. Like my family's five, you know? So at that point in time, we doubled the size you know, and then the neighbors have had a couple kids, so yeah, there's not many people around here. It's, that's for sure. that's how I like it, though. I, I like it like yeah, because you don't like people, so I, no. I get it. You know, that's why you said earlier. You know, I don't like I like the low key. I like I don't have to be you know known for everything. I don't have to be everywhere. I, I just like how it is. I fought social media. They remember when I got Instagram for the first yeah. time? Yeah. Oh, it was a mess trying for me <laughs> trying to figure out all that. I still don't have it down to a science, but oh, I see the I'd give you so much. I'd give you so much crap when I'd come because I'd be like, you, you know, you could be helping out your business and your clientele so much with social media. And, you know, and I think the when I was there in 19 was the last time I was there and, you know, trying to get you on board of it. And I think that's when it finally got you over the edge. It's like, okay, I, I need to do this. And now you're a freaking Instagram <laughs> machine. You're like, you're like, freaking a uh, veteran on that thing now <laughs> i'm a fast learner but i i fought hell i fought a cell phone for years i didn't have a cell phone i remember and then the smartphones i was out there with the flip phone trying to text the flip phone all you guys are burning me up with an iphone trying i'm getting 10 texts before i get one of them sent back out oh <laughs> 
So so what I'm picking up is Chad had a decision. It's either get the bowl back out of the bowl case or get Instagram. It's one again, it's one or the other. Yeah. Pretty <laughs> it's much. about how it went down too. <laughs> well, Chad, uh, I do want to go back a little bit farther though, like when you were growing up, because this is actually something I don't even know, but you know, you you said you you hunted through high school and everything, but like, when did you seriously really start getting serious into it? And like, how old were you? And was your, did your dad get you into that? Or was like a grandfather or how did you get into it? Not really. So like Iowa traditionally is a shotgun drive state, you know, and, and everybody had groups and they just had deer hunting parties and you drove and you posted and you went back and you ate lunch and you might hunt three or four times a day. And then, you know, that was it. As a kid, that's all we ever did. One week a year in high school and, and younger, and that's all you hunted. Well, it, that wasn't enough. I, you know, you just couldn't get enough. Wait all year to hunt one week, you know. And So I started archery hunting in high school. I started my first bow in high school. We had a teacher in school that was an archery hunter, and he showed us how to hunt. And we got the shoot she couldn't do now. But we bring our bows in the high school, put a foam, a foam target, not a good target, one of them crappy foam targets, in the back of the gym and we would shoot three or four of my buddies and the teacher, we would shoot our bows in the gym <laughs> at, at lunchtime and high school kids would just be standing around watching you shoot your bow in the gym. I mean, it, it was, it was crazy, but it was great. You know, everybody, the, the three or four guys I hung out with, we all shot and we hunted, but, but serious hunting probably 20, probably my mid early 20s yeah probably wasn't really and then a couple of my buddies they were pretty serious into it and then we got pretty serious into it in our mid-20s and from then on it was just it was craziness what, when, when did you go ahead i was gonna i was gonna ask him you know when in when you guys started first getting serious about you know in your early 20s like that did you did you know like what iowa truly was or is that no. just kind of it was just the norm because you grew yeah. up around there it was the norm. I mean, even like the teacher we had in school, he shot big deer and he had mounts on his wall and you'd go to his house and you'd see his deer and you'd be like, damn, you know, that's not, but you would see him, you know, like when we did farm work or when we were out checking cattle, we would see the deer. We never killed one with our bow because we didn't know what the hell we were doing. I mean, there was, you had, I, the first thing I bought was a book and I forget who it was wrote by. And that's when I started reading that book. And then you start figuring out, well, you got to hunt the wind you have to do this you, you know because nobody in our area did any of that kind of stuff my dad thought i was freaking crazy for setting in a tree with a bow and arrow i mean it was unheard of yeah so we just kept doing it and kept doing it and you, basically you just learn you self-learn what works and what doesn't and that that's pretty much everything i learned was learned the hard way from doing it the wrong way yeah so, well chad what was the first buck you ever killed you remember remember what it was the first one I ever killed with was a bow, yeah, I, with a bow, not with like a shotgun or something. Yeah, the first buck I ever killed with a bow was a six point, and he wasn't very big. I mean, he was he was pretty small, but it, you know, it's still the reaction when I shot that deer was the same as like when I shot one of the big ones. I was twenty some early twenties, and it was I would shot a doe before, but then the buck it was the first buck I'd ever killed with a bow, and that was just that was a huge thing back then. And then you. I, as the years go on, you realize what you really could shoot. <laughs> yeah. Well, that, that was kind of what I was getting at. Like when you killed that, you know, trying to get around or trying to 
picture the stigma of Iowa and what we know it is now. But like when you killed that six point, were there people like buck shaming you at all? Or was it very much yep. like, holy crap, there, that's awesome. It was more the fact that you did it with an archery, you know, with a bow that, you know, cause nobody did it and people would really, it really, it just wasn't a thing like it is now. You know, there, there the TV shows were the old, old, you know, uh, was it real tree and Blanton and those guys, you know, they were shooting the old white tail, you know, the <laughs> big ass bows with the plastic cams on them. I mean, it, it just wasn't a thing yet. And we yeah. had to slowly, but then like you said, you know, we did live in Iowa and those deer were here, but for me, I, it's a long time before I realized not everybody was like this. Mm-hmm. You know, I just assumed, you know, just a young kid basically living in a bubble about this big, just hunting your own stuff, thinking, you know, everybody had it this easy. And then, you know, years later, you start, I'd start doing what I do now. And even before that, but you realize it ain't like everybody else's place. Yeah. It's pretty, pretty special. Yeah, for sure. And so, you know, going through the years, like when did you kill your first like big deer? So I have some in the garage, probably deer you have never seen. I have a, I have a pile in my garage, probably like 130s, 135s. You know, we started killing some eight points in the 135s. And it was a gradual, you know, stepping stone. I didn't just go straight to killing, you know, hammers. I, I probably killed, which we still gun hunted and we, we killed big deer with our shotguns, but I lost all of that in my 20s. I would go gun hunting, but it wasn't the same as archery hunting. Yep. And we, I killed deer, you know, 150, 160. I think I got 170 inch deer out in the gear room. I killed with a gun. It was, it was fun. I liked it, but it, it wasn't the same as archery hunting, you know, for a buck. But man, once I hit that 150, it was like 50, 60, 70, 180. It was just like that. It was, I would never shoot anything less. I, I didn't, not that I thought it was better, but I just didn't want to. I could have. Okay. But I just wanted to climb that. It was just an accomplishment thing for me. You know, you just wanted to climb that ladder. And it, it was, you talking about two th- early 2000s. I don't want to say it out loud, but it, it was like easy. I mean, you, it, it was. It's crazy for me to tell this to people, but even today is not like it was in 2006 and seven and eight. I mean, it, it was a different time. I mean, we're, we're real close now. We had, we dropped off in the mid 2010, 11, 12, 13, and we're, we're coming back now, but it ain't like it was back in those days. There was deer. You could drive around and you could see 200 inch deer. Like you could see them. And that, that's some, that's a word I don't like to throw around 200 because everybody throws that word around, you know, right. even the locals throw that word around and it ain't, most time it ain't true. But in those days, it was true. One, I mean, hard to tell 180 to 200 were on the hoof, you know, when they're running or when they're moving, but that's a legit booner. I mean, straight up legit booner. Well, and I've, I've drove around with you quite a bit and you can, I mean, you drive by a deer in the ditch and you can basically you've got a knack for knowing on the hoof like how big yeah. that deer is within a couple inches so knowing that and me knowing how you can judge deer on the hoof how many 200 inch deer do you think you've ever seen in your lifetime i've seen a lot i've seen a lot <laughs> i've seen one last year i got one i see on camera that's gonna be i mean now that that's all i do that's all i do is look for them you see them 
but in my lifetime, I've seen a bunch. I yeah. mean, in I'm 48 years old, and since I've been 25, I've seen a pile of them, you know. And you can, it does go in spurts because there'll be time you don't see, you know, like, man, I just don't see the bucks, the size or the caliber that we used to. And that's, you know, we had that EHD back in, I think it was 10, 10, 11, you know, was not so good years. 12, 13 came back. And then from 15 on through, we've done a steadily climb ever since. Yeah. And, we, you know, in the last four or five years, our trail cameras and what like what we see, well, we saw a spotting scope last week. There, that was something. I mean, oh boy, <laughs> there's some hammers out here. There really yeah. are. That's but I don't think it, it's just not just me. I mean, they're all over, but it's it's same as everything else. How much time are you going to put into it? Because we put some miles on sometimes mm -hmm. to, you know, find them. I I will. Uh, I'll trade you my last week of my spotting scope work for your last week of spotting scope work. <laughs> I, I got a, I got a fun question for you here, Chad, out of the, uh, and this may be really hard to, you know, answer, but, uh, looking back on some of these, you know, these magical 200 inch deer that you've seen, what is in your opinion, the earliest age that you've ever seen one hit that 200 mark age of a white tail earliest age. You know, our deer are so big. I mean, they're so healthy and they're they're so fat. I would say pro easily five. You know, I don't know mm -hmm. if I could say a four-year-old or not. I mean, some of them deer, they'll fool you on their age. You know, e even for me, unless you get a legit deer you can see to tell he's old, sometimes even that bigger three or that four-year-old or that smaller five, they're just hard to – to tell apart, you know, until they get up in that six or seven and you can really tell in their body, you know, what they look mm -hmm. like. But sometimes I would say five, you know, yeah. a six, you know, pretty easily in those. I don't know if I could say four or not, but I mean, I would easily say one seventies, four year olds. Yeah. yeah. I would I easily did. say that. And I, and I tell you the, so I was, I was out in Iowa in 2020 and we had pretty good, you know, body sizes here in Michigan. But the first thing that I noticed was the body size to like the antler size in, in Iowa where there were some like two year olds were like, you know, filmed them. Then later on at the cabin, I'd be watching it and I'm like, man, it, I think his rack's probably bigger than what it looks like. Cause his body's almost dwarfing yeah. him up until, you know, a certain, I'm sure yeah. an inch of, of, uh, antler, but you know, a 130 inch animal out there were like his rack almost looks like 115, 120 yeah. cause his body is so big. Yep. That's a common thing. I, I think, you know, you're looking the, the bucks that we kill. So we bring them all in the shop and we got them all in there. So when we weigh them, we weigh them on the hoof in my shop here before we don't gut them out in the field. So most of them weigh, you know, you get up to the four-year-olds, five-year-olds and on anywhere from the smaller ones, 265, most of them 280, 285. And they'll weigh as, as much as 300, 305 is the heaviest deer that we weighed on my scale since I've been doing this in 2008. Yeah. It was 305 pounds, and I have a 12-foot ceiling. And when we hoisted him up, his feet were touching the roof. His back feet touched the roof, and his nose only cleared the ground by that far. That's 12 foot stretched out from hoof to nose. So when he's running, that's a big animal. <laughs> oh, you're. I mean, you're 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 talking like those are Canadian numbers. You know what I mean? Oh I, yeah. I, some of the white yeah. tails up there, but out of curiosity, what uh two things 
why why exactly do you like to weigh them with the weight and is there something that you've or with the guts and is there something that you've actually learned from actually taking all those numbers before they're field dressed well we don't field dress them for the main part in the field because we have so many coyotes and i don't want them around anything where we hunt any more than they already are and secondly it's, it's just something that i think i like i like to know what that deer weighs on the hoof you know and mm-hmm. then when i talk when i always talk how much a deer weighs it's always live weight you know and then i gut him out it's i think it's more for my own curiosity you know yeah. but it's about 40 to 45 pounds of guts you take out of a big buck so it's just i just like to see what he weighs you know on the hoof for yeah, my own yeah. self it's got well, me I, it's got me interested because everything i've ever weighed just field dress you know where now i'm like I'm, yeah yeah it sucks because a lot of them are tough drag out jobs you know but it's like they just wonder, you know, like it's, it's the same as like, I know with, you know, black bear people, like they have a pretty much a hard percent that they know those guts weigh, you know what I mean? Yeah. Where it's like, it, there's some, there's probably some really good information that you've gathered over the years of actually weighing them consistently like that. Yeah. We weigh, every, we weigh the does even too. We weigh them. We, we killed a 172 pound doe. Jeez. I mean, <laughs> that's a giant of a that doe. Is, you could use them. Doe. Yeah, you could use their capes for deer mounts all day long. They're they're big. <laughs> yeah. Well, and ever since I was there in 19 and we weighed the Hambino and stuff like that, like ever since then, all the deer I've killed since then, I've tried to weigh on the hoof. And, you know, I remember being a kid even here in Michigan, like to kill a 200-pound deer on the hoof was an accomplishment. And some people call me crazy, but, like, the last three bucks that I've killed in Michigan went 250 on the hoof, 240 on the hoof, and 220 on the hoof, and they were all three-year-olds, you know? And it's like, it's the 200-pound deer now, even where we're at, for me anyway, is like, it's just kind of like, I expect it to be at least 200 pounds now, you know? Um, And that's because when I, like I said, when I was a kid, like to get a 200-pound and maybe they were killing year and a half olds and two year olds, you know, and you just, they weren't getting to be that size, but man, to kill a 200 pound deer back in the day was, that was a big accomplishment. Yeah. Yeah. I like, we've killed deer. So like in my shop where we hang them before we got them and we weigh them, we'll have, you could have two or three, you know, in a row. And, and when you drag the first one in, you guess why I think that deer's three and a half or four and a half and he weighs two forty. But I'm telling you, so we killed one a couple years, a couple, three deer, a couple years ago. And he, we brought him in. We hung him on the scale. Somebody else had shot one. And we had to go get it and bring it back. And that, that was a big deer. It was like 150, 155-inch deer. And he wasn't real long, but he looked nice, big, big. I forget what he weighed, probably 265. But then the other guy shot a 165-inch deer, which would have been at least a year older, if not two years. I'm a minimum of a year older maybe two years older we hung him up and you hang him next to that one it dwarfed him i mean he was two feet longer eight inches wider he was just a behemoth that difference on of them deer just in that year maybe two years you know because we didn't send the teeth away or anything but guessing is huge difference i mean that guy that shot the first one He's like, holy shit, look at the size difference, you know, <laughs> just in that year of what that makes on these deer. It's it's huge. 
Yeah. What what a what a great way to actually see that in person though. Like, yeah. It's something to your disposal like that. Having multiple ages hanging right. there, getting weights where it's like you can truly see what another twelve months could give an animal. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And that that was I mean, they both were great deer. Uh great deer. I was happy for both of them. But when you put them side by side, it, just the sheer body size made that deer look so much smaller. Mm-hmm. It was crazy. Yeah, and like, have you sent any teeth in at all on any of the deer that you yeah, killed? We don't typically. I we should, but we don't. You know, a lot of times we don't. A lot of the guys they don't, they don't. And I think the only one we've ever sent in was Matthew's deer from last year. What we did that end up being? In. I haven't got it back yet. We were late getting it sent in, but yep. that was that's the only one that we've actually sent in. So I did send the Hambino in, and I think I told you, but he was seven and a half. Yeah. So, and then, you know, that deer, I think when we weighed him, I want to say he was like 260 on the hoof, you know, at seven and a half years old. I remember, I don't know, do you remember him? Like, I thought he was a long deer, like like a tall deer. I don't, you know, when we got him in the truck, I'm like, Jesus, like you take up the whole back <laughs> end of the truck. I'm like, you're, we're talking about... We're talking about professional athletes, you know. Right. <laughs> like, that's the way I look at it. Right. I, I kind of remember him hanging, and I, I think – so what I notice is they get shorter. You know, they're not as long when they get yeah. that seven and eight years old. Yep. I, I think he was a big deer, but I know we've had way yeah longer deer, you know, hang from there before. I Whatever his sheet is – it's in this lodge somewhere. It had would have his weight on his score sheet from the first time we ever did it. I have a whole stack of papers from when we score them, and then the stack of papers goes in the drawer. So it's in oh, here Oh, I like somewhere. that. Yeah. Oh, that it is awesome. <laughs> well, actually, so the first ever score sheet is right here on my – it's a piece of, like, you know, just – paper that Casey scored him at and it's just got like it wasn't even an official score sheet so I kept it and just keep it right on my like on my not the stand right here I'm like that's kind of neat to see I think you were you were Casey one of you guys copied that on my tablet that I have all my other ones on oh okay yep and that's that's what I have it's in one of them drawers yep there's the hand beam right across the top yeah (laughs) I I can tell you right now you know in the beginning of this there was listeners that you probably blew their mind that you said you didn't take your bow out of the case since 2015. But what little bit we've already talked, the amount of information that you are learning and gathering out of all these years, like, dude, it's it's just as, it's probably just as much fun as hunting oh, yeah. itself. Like, you're doing everything out there. Like, the fact that you got all these sheets on all these bucks still, like, that, like, there is so much information probably sitting at your place and just unreal man <laughs> yeah people love to go through it they'll i'll get guys that'll go through them papers and they'll look at all the deer and see the scores you know and the scribbles and scratches on them now that's you know you can't redo that stuff that's once in a lifetime stuff right there so we we try to keep all that stuff for sure another day is here and you're ready for it what to wear check breakfast lunch and dinner check planning for what's next and how to save for it that's where bank of america can help for your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Well, in talking about information, I mean, you've been, not only have you been hunting forever, but you've, like you said, you've been in, you know, run your own outfit since 2008. And, you know, you, you have a wide swath of farms and different terrains and different farms and different things that you hunt and, and scout every year and hang stands on every year and see deer grow up on all these farms and everything. Like, the amount of information that you have in your head is just unreal as far as big deer go and how they live and how they use the terrain. That's what is so fascinating to me about you is that, you know, you have so many, you've seen so many guys come through there and kill deer a million different ways, right? I mean, there's so many different oh, yeah. ways to skin a cat. Now, um, tell me in all the years, what is a tactic that, uh, might stand out to you that has worked more than another one would you do you know anything that might stick out to you like uh the way the way i would hunt them or the way yep yep i and it stuck with me since i was about the time we started killing good deer early 20s somewhere in there but i have always took the same mentality when i hunted a deer is i hunt that deer as if he is scared of everything like literally anything I do will scare that deer. We've hung stands in the dark in the rain. We we've I mean we've done it all just to hunt that deer a certain when I hunted to hunt a certain deer a certain way. I always hunted as if you know he's like a big scaredy cat. He, he's just I don't I want to be completely invisible. I don't want him to know I was even in that tree. I don't want him. I I would do anything to get in that tree in the dark. I mean pouring down the rain carrying in tree stands, you know, and the old saying that we used, you guys used the hang and bang. Yeah. I'm telling you, there is very little things that work better than that. If you have watched that deer and you have seen that deer and I've done it multiple times, the biggest deer I ever shot, I didn't find him. That's what I did. I watched him and I watched him and I packed a little lock on about this big on my back and I went to this tree and I climbed up it. I went in there at, I walked in at 1.30. I was in the tree sitting down at 2, and I shot him at 4. Yeah. I mean, it was it was just like that. And we did that. I did that for years. I would watch and watch and watch, and then just, I'm going to go right there. And I would just go in there, and then you shoot the deer. That's, that's what I did. That was kind of, I didn't want to go in there. I didn't want to put cameras. I never had a trail cam picture of, any deer I ever killed, I wouldn't even put trail cameras up. I wouldn't. I wouldn't even go in there. I would just go in there and hang a tree stand. Sometimes two, because the other one would fall over. And then <laughs> and we would. I mean, that's that's what I did, and that worked for me for years. And I tried. You know, you can't really carry that over. You know, in the business that I run, but you kind of pick similar. You know, only go in there when you have to cell cameras changed the world on having to go in and out of places yeah and that's 
that's my biggest tactic, I would say. So, you know, going back to when you hunted, were you doing a lot of scouting in the spring and stuff like oh, that? Oh, yeah, that's it. That, I would burn so much gas. I mean, it. We, I would just glass all the time. And I was infatuated with velvet deer. I mean, I was crazy. We. Just, I just wanted pictures of velvet deer, and it, they would be right there. You could see them 50 yards in the road in the beans, you know, in the shadows. They wouldn't run. You'd take pictures of them. And you would typically just find the deer you wanted to hunt. And when you found him, then you just go there. You'd go there. You can see him three, four nights a week or more in the morning. And then you'd wait till opening day or into October. I, I think the earliest I killed was October 24th. You know, one of, you know, big, big deer. And he'd come right, you know, come right through where we had been seeing him. So, yeah, I would just find it. The biggest, the biggest problem, I think, is you have to find the deer. You just can't go set in a tree and hope that a booner walks by, you know, and that, that just sometimes don't work. I mean, if they're in the area, that's your chance. But when it's one-on-one, -on -one, I would find it, watch it, and then hang it and kill it. So tell me this, on some farms that you've hunted year, like, you know, you might get a new farm or a farm that you've hunted over and over. Coming into the springtime, were you ever going in in the spring and looking at the old sign that was laid down and, and try to get maybe – uh, you know, a, a hub or a, a scrape or a rub or a rub line or something like that, that you, you know, would put in your mind. And then when you find that deer on that farm, you know, like, okay, this is probably where he's going to yeah. be. And that's where I'm going to pinpoint. Was that a lot of, of what you would do as well? Yeah. The, like, uh, March, February, you know, shed hunting a lot, always looking for their sheds, always trying to, to match the shed up, you know, to the bucks that we killed or wanted to kill. We should shed hunt it. And then that's where you would find all the sign, you know. But I, I didn't spend hardly any time walking around any woods in the fall. I mean, I literally didn't walk any woods in the fall. But it was the springtime. It was cool. There was no bugs out. Yep. Find the sheds. Find the scrapes. Not many scrapes, but, you know, the rubs. And like you said, you can see the, the rub lines or what. And kind of after a while, you just start to think like one, you know. And this is pretty much where he's going to go because he doesn't have anywhere else to go. Like, you know, where I live, fence rows, you know, inside corners, stuff like that. That's what we hunt because we're not fully wooded. We're, we're open, you know, all the corn and beans and hay fields. We're actually open, like really open. We have heavy spots and heavy draws that all lead or point somewhere. And that's, that's what's, you know, ends up getting them bucks killed because they run those fence lines and hedgerows that's why i love your place so much is because i love hunting in open areas uh yeah. you know picking a deer out and glassing and and watching him. i do the same thing around here is like like you said find him glass him and then when it's time to strike you go in you hang the stand you kill him you know like yep. it, it's not that easy but you no. know that that's the mentality or that's the 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 you know the points you got to take to do it that's what you want to happen anyway. Yeah. It, it, it it's happened a lot. I've done it several times and I've done it. It hasn't worked several times. So, but when it does work, you know, you put that plan together and you did it. And that's, that's what, that was the addictive part for me was killing the deer was really good. But the whole, I, I killed, you know, I outsmarted that deer. I out chess matched that deer. That's the whole part I always liked was the strategy part of it. 
Yeah, the the element of surprise is arguably the most deadliest tactic there is yeah. whitetail hunting, in my yeah. opinion. Especially hunting like that. You know what I mean? Where it's like you don't you don't even have to go in there, you know, like you said, your circumstances have changed now with your business, but like the way you're hunting like that, like you didn't have to go in there and even put a camera up. You didn't have to go in there and pre hang a stand. Like you got your eyes, like real time information yep. on this buck. You just have to be able to slip in there and get get up in that tree without him knowing and your odds of shooting that deer that first night in there are very high in my opinion yep they they really are and that that was the best i mean i got an old jeep we drive around the spotting scope just glass and you could do that for hours some of the stuff we can you've seen around here is just oh yeah (laughs) sometimes i hate being there in the fall because you're hunting so much i just want to drive around yeah you know what i mean like because, you know, when you get there, like when I go there and the times that I've been to your place, it's always been in the fall. And either I'm filming or I'm hunting. And it's like, you got to be in the tree. You know, you, you got to be in the tree and we've done our due diligence. We know he's there. We got to we gotta figure him out. Sometimes it's just like, let's take a morning off or an evening off and let's just go glass. Like, because yep. you're going to see something you've never seen before. You really are. Yeah. No, yep. and I, I'll tell you a short little story that goes right with that was when I was just back in Iowa in, in 2020, um, my best friend killed on, on the very first night. So then he's like, he said, well, I'm just going to go drive around the next couple of days. And maybe, maybe I'll see something and, you know, be able to relay some information to you. And I said, all right, sounds good. And two days into driving, he literally told me, he's like, I'm not going to send you the pictures anymore. I'll just show you when you get back that, from hunting that night. Cause it was like, yeah, it was just, it was unreal. You know, he's like, this is just, He's like, I'm not even too sure there's does in Iowa or not. But he's like, <laughs> I, I have that. I have that here all the time. You know, a guy will shoot a deer on day one, day two. They got two, three days left. They don't want to set in a lodge. Like, I won't take my bow. I just want to go set in a tree. I'm like, that's not a good idea. I mean, you're gonna hate yourself, and yeah. it it happens a lot. They'll mm-hmm. and I'll let them go. You know and. They'll come in. They're like, you won't believe what I saw come walking by. <laughs> like yeah, I that, <laughs> that was that was my buddy, you know. And at that at that time, that first night when he killed, that was his biggest deer he's ever killed. So he's very happy with it. But boy, those next couple of days driving, he was like, he's like each day he'd be like I seen six bucks all bigger than the one I shot. Yeah. <laughs> it, just, it was like and he yeah, killed a good deer too. Yeah. Yep. That happens a lot. I mean, we take guys, they shoot a buck, and we cape them out, take the horns off, go to the taxidermist, and, and my local taxidermist has enough that he's done all of these, and he he's known for doing good work. He has all the big deer, and when you walk in that taxidermy, man, if you're not toting a 175 or bigger, you you don't feel very good when you walk <laughs> in that building, you know. And that That's poor wild. guy. <laughs> yeah it's a different animal man but it, you know what though that's what makes it so special out there it, it, it truly is man and anyone that's an avid you know whitetail hunter that's you know it's it should be on everyone's list to go do sometime i think so i tell guys all the time they, they are you know I get a lot of tire kickers and they'll call you know my whether it's me or anywhere you need to come to iowa once at least once just to see because you need to believe what people tell you because it's Bold Iowa, even everywhere in Iowa, I'm more so than anybody else, but Iowa don't have any people. You know, our resident hunting's been down for years. COVID kind of took it back up a little bit, but our resident hunting has been down 
on a steady decline for years. So, I mean, the deer definitely outweigh the people. Yeah. Um, Chad, so, like, you know, how did you, back when you were in your mid-20s and your 30s and stuff like that and starting to kill some big deer, you know, you mentioned in the fall you would not walk around. You would not scout. You wouldn't do nothing. You wouldn't go in until you killed. How, because I know a lot of a lot of listeners would feel this way, but how how do you stay out of the woods? How do you keep that mental <laughs> capacity of being like, I, you know, because there's a lot of, I call them hope hunters. David and I talk about hope hunters all the time where it's like you're just going to a tree hoping he walks by. Yeah. I hate that. So I, I just don't like hunting that way. I like to know that I'm in the game, you know what yeah. I mean, more than not. But how did you – how do you that mental capacity of like just staying the hell out that's got to be tough it's tough it's tough and in my mindset and it's changed over the years to where i'm at now but 20 years old mid 20s to my 30s i was a killer i mean a kill i wanted to kill i i didn't want to hunt i wanted to kill that animal like i remember when i used to draw it was to the point you know you, i never got the shakes i never it was I'm gonna kill that deer, and that that was all I wanted to do. And in order for me to kill that deer, I didn't want to go in the woods. I mean, it's like I knew he I'd scare him out of there. And it, but just to go walk around, I know what you mean to go walk around and scout and look. But I did enough of that because I grew up in this place, you know. So most of these farms we hunted, I've stepped on every square inch of that since I was a little kid. So I, I kind of already knew you know, the property. And so for me, I just wanted to stay out, glass it over and over and see them. And I just wanted to, we didn't have hunt stand. We couldn't zoom in and pick a tree. You know, it was all, some of it was by memory or just, I'm just going in there to find a tree, you know, in this area. And then the rest of it, I'm going to work him, you know, I'm going to grunt him in or I'm going to rattle him. I'm going to work him into me. And then that, that's, that was my mentality, but to stay out. I'm, I suppose I'm different than the normal guy because normal guys don't grow up on a lot of places. They, you know, hunt. Yeah, no, that, that, that makes sense because I just know like when, when it's October one and the leaves are starting to turn, I'm like, God, I just want to be in the timber somewhere. You know, you just yeah. want to like be there and, and just take it all in. You know, it's, it's tough. Sometimes it's tough to just stay out and that's, I think coming with age, every year you get a little older, a little more mature, and you have more responsibility. Shit, when I had a kid, you know, and then you get married, it's like it's easier to stay out because you got other responsibilities, you know. So take up basket weaving. I don't know. Do something. (laughs) Right. (laughs) I don't know. I think as you do get older, though, I I know I did. When I got older, I I didn't just switch, but I went more from just having to kill – to you know even the encounter you know even putting up stands ahead of season you know doing my work in we used to do a lot of our work in turkey season for the fall stuff like that but i never did that in my early years we always hung them and went in and shot them up one two times you know we didn't go you were you were, you were a lot of hanging bang stuff you were yeah. like taking the stand in hanging hunting killing like yeah. really mobile so you were doing yeah. mobile before mobile was cool I'm telling you, I I never had a backpack. If what if I couldn't fit in my side pockets of my pants, I I went in with a grunt tube, a set of rattling antlers, 
a bow and arrow, and a, and honestly, I didn't have a safety harness until I had kids when I was 25. And then that that's it. I didn't take a backpack. I didn't take bottles of water. I didn't take snacks. I didn't take all that crap. I mean, we got backpacks this big around now we take with us. <laughs> I, don't, yeah. I didn't take anything. If it wouldn't fit in my pockets and I couldn't carry it with two hands, it didn't go in the tree with me. What, what's, what stand were you using back then? Hell, what was that? Was it maybe like an old man? Old man, okay. Old, I think. It, it was old. It was. They were tiny little stands. I mean, they weren't very big, and they didn't weigh nothing. They were all metal. No cushion on the seat, you know. Of course, we didn't sit. We just stood, and yeah, we just I just put them on my back, and I had a string, tie the string around the thing, you know, hook it over your back, and go in. And a pair of binoculars. I had a little pair of Bushnell binoculars, and that that is no rangefinder. Hell, I have a rangefinder until I was thirty something years old. The thing is, David. And everybody listening, Chad talking like this when he was at 25, he's 48 now and still does this. Like, you know, like, you know, there's so much more efficient ways to do it, but he'd still take a steel stand in and just do it because that's Chad. Like that's, and he'll come out with the biggest fucking deer there is in the section. That's (laughs) what that's. It didn't matter the tree neither. If if a stand needed to go in that tree, it's going in that tree. Oh, I know. I've seen Chad. (laughs) take okay so when i killed the hambino remember tiny dancer chad um the tree the tiny dancer we named it the tiny dancer because literally i got pictures casey had his hands he had one hand around the tree and he could put his whole one hand around the the tree where we were sitting and it was in a cedar tree and where you're at there's a lot of cedar trees i've seen chad ratchet strap two and three trees together then put a stand in it to make it so he could it's safe enough to where you could hang that but you know what he's got a knack for where the trees need the stands need to be and you're gonna kill that tree you're gonna think you're gonna think when you're climbing it there's no flipping way that that we're gonna kill out of this and here comes the biggest deer you've ever seen (laughs) what was uh what was the name of that buck uh back when casey was here it had all the had the split two, split threes. Double, double. Double, double. Damn it. Yeah, I don't know how I forgot. The double, double. That was the – I mean, I watched him from the road, and I watched him from the road, and I almost got – I always try to get my kids to kill him before I killed him. I was videoing him. And there was a, a tree in the fence row. It's fairly heavy, but it had some cedar trees that grew up pretty close together, and none of them were, you know, big enough, but it was on the corner. And I'm like, he got – I don't care. It's got a, I would set a telephone pole and put one in it before I didn't put one in it. And so I went in there. I think I took Matthew with me and I took three ratchet straps. I just kept bringing them together <laughs> until I got them <laughs> together and I ratcheted them around. And then I put the la- the lock on in there and I'll be damned if we almost didn't kill him out of that tree stand. I mean, How big I put, was double double? I mean, he was big. Was he 200? He, he was like 190, 192. He was right in there. He was a freaking tank, man. He yeah. was so big. And that was whatever it kind takes. Of, yeah, I mean that that deer was and the character. I mean the split two, split threes. He was just. I think he even had split brows, like a crown. Yeah. He was so big, and we watched him. And you could, I could go see him, almost like let's go look at him. And we'd go down the field. Within two sections, I'd find him a spotting scope. 
And I'm like, this is, there was two trees, that one, and then the one we called the skyscraper stand. We, there was two of them and, and we almost killed him out of both. We got him to like 75 yards out of the skyscraper. And, and the one I ratcheted together and put a ladder or a lock on in, we almost killed him out of that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I, I put somebody in there one time and they're like, what in the hell do you have going on in this tree? <laughs> OSHA approved. Yeah. <laughs> Just yeah. give it some time. You'll see. Yeah. I, I tell you what, though, boys, is I don't have much ground like that, but I've I've seen parts of Iowa that are probably like what you're talking about. But I've had some swamps here that will hold deer in it, and I'm so convinced at times that, like, these big deer know that there's not, like, good huntable trees around because it's yeah. like it's like dude they they're out they get big in certain areas for a reason yeah. and a lot of those times those reasons are it's just damn hard to hunt them yeah those big open crp fields are deadly oh, i mean you can, they're they're all over and and it's just hard to get them deer to come you know three four hundred acres you got to go by that tree right there you know that's just tough to do sometimes well, yep. and that's what you've killed some good deer on the ground, like some yeah. booners type deer. And oh, yeah. that's the cool thing about like where you're at. You have a lot of terrace around your fields and CRP fields. So where you can, I mean, you can get in on stuff like that and it's, it's fun to watch and fun to do. I'll tell you. The terrain is really good for that with the terraces and the trees, you know, waterways and stuff. You can really, you can get close. I mean, it's, I think it'll work every time, but I was doing it long before these guys made it cool you know i mean we were spotting stock and killing deer long time ago and it's it's deadly i mean it really is deadly it's yeah. it's something that's one of the best hunts that's one of my best most favorite hunts that i ever been on was a spot and stock where i killed one of them 10 pointers on a wall it lasted i almost lost a toe from frostbite okay you, I, you just get into the story we gotta talk about it <laughs> So it was, uh, I was running this, my outfitting business and my buddy called me. It was, uh, let's see, I got to figure out what date it was. It was right around Thanksgiving, right after Thanksgiving. I think it was like the 22nd of November or something like that. I didn't have any guys here and I was out fixing blinds, you know, getting ready for my gun season. My buddy calls me up. It's cold. It's cold. He's like, man, I, I, Kyle hunting and I got a giant. He's with a doe. He said, you need to come see if you want to kill it. I'm like, I got, I got a lot of shit I got to do. I mean, I got guys coming, you know, in December. And I'm like, okay, I'll come. Well, I, I ignored him. I hung, you know, I didn't go. Two hours later, he calls me. He's mad. And he's yelling at me. You got to, he's still here. You got to come. You got to come right now. And I did the same thing. Too. This is in the morning. He's hunting coyotes. I did the same thing. Did, I didn't believe him, kind of. I thought he just wanted me to go with him, go coyote hunting, you know, some shit like that. So I'm like, yeah, whatever. So I, lunchtime, I'm eating lunch, and he, he's just livid at me now. You know, it's still there. And I'm like, okay, I'll come. I didn't take – I wore cowboy boots, pair of uninsulated camo pants, and my brown jacket, binoculars, a grunt tube, and my bow and arrow. And I walked out the door, drove over there, and I got there like – I found him at like 1.30, I think, 1.32. And so I pulled a spot and stock on him. And it was like four hours, I think, when I, I had to crawl on my hands and knees, I don't know, a couple hundred yards through a terrace. And I got I got within 150 yards of him. He was in the bottom of the waterway, cut beans. So there's no – You're above no, him? 
I'm a Bubby Minotaurus. He's in a waterway, and there's cut beans between us. So I've closed the only – I can't close no more because of the open beans. And he's with a doe. He's got her bedded. So I was watching him. I was watching him. And he would just – he would go to sleep. He'd come back up. Then you could see his head and his eyes. He'd go back to sleep. So I, I got all ready. And I had – Again, before all this stuff was cool, I had a grunt tube. I think it was either duct taped or it was, it was some kind of strap on my sh on my arm where I could blow it on my arm and not have to have my hands free, you know? And so I'm, I got this little grunt tube thing like this where I could blow on it on my bicep. And I, I so I waited for him. When he woke up, he stood up and he did the old, you know, the old butt stretch. So I did a little grunt, started making a little noise, and I – tinkered the horns a little bit and he kind of looked and he, he wasn't too interested so i kept working the grunt a little bit and then i snort wheezed and he kind of looked then he started you know he started posturing and he started walking away from her and i thought oh shit you know he, here he comes <laughs> so i had my arrow knocked laying and i was in some grass some like probably some foxtail i was on my knees but i had to bend over because once i sat on my knees foxtail was head high so he was gonna see me so i was bent over the whole time and i mean it's cold i started to creep in now like your toes have already went numb now i'm starting to worry if i can make the shot you know because it's that i'm shaking it's that cold yeah so he start he starts coming and i ranged a rock at 55 yards in the beans and he's about 150 from me so i i know we're 55 yards is so i'm not gonna have time to range him again you know so i'm i start and i start snort wheezing and i worked him up i worked him up pretty good he got pissed he thrashed a tree he started really getting aggressive and he's kind of kept looking my way but he you know he just wouldn't commit he'd come like 75 yards and then he gets in the open beans and he just comes trotting through there then he really started coming trotting i thought he was coming because I had him all worked up. I hear something behind me. It's a buck that I called over the hill, come directly over the hill and standing directly behind me in line with that other buck. Oh he my sees, gosh. He sees that buck. Here I'm thinking, I, you know, I know what the hell I'm doing. And he sees this other buck behind me. That's what pissed him off. And he come all the way up and it, the, I mean, it was starting to, Light was going. It was getting to where we're going to have enough light to kill him. And he come all the way, and he stopped at – he stopped where that rock was right between his legs. He was standing broadside with that rock I ranged at 55 yards between his legs. So I knew he was dead nuts 55, but he was looking at me. He was looking at that doe, and finally that buck – I threw something at that buck behind me because I was afraid if I spooked him – Obviously, I would spook the one I wanted to shoot. So I was throwing sticks and shit at him behind me, trying to get him to go away. He's like right behind. He's like a two-year-old right behind me. He's probably trying to mount me if I didn't get him, you know, away from me. <laughs> and he finally runs over the hill, and then I I pick my bow up. And when he looked back to look at the doe, I just set up in that fast. I just set up, sunk my pen on him, and I had a green luminoc, and it, you could just see it. <laughs> just disappear i just i pounded him right there and 55 you know i shoot 60 back then i shot 60 on a regular basis so that didn't bother me 
but it was just being able to get up and not blow the shot to kill him. And yeah, that's when it, and it had just started to snow, you know, and he and it, he ran down to the doe and stood there. I never saw him fall over, and it started to snow, and I mean it was big flakes. So we left him, and we came back in about an hour, and he was only laying 25 yards where he was bedded down with that doe. And that deer was a typical 6x6, six six, wasn't he? Yeah. Yep, he's over there on the wall. How big was he's he? A, like, what he score? He was, a, he was 172. That's, that's <laughs> awesome. That's so cool. That, that was a, but I, I thought I lost a toe. I mean, cowboy boots in the cold – on the ground, I was sitting on my boots to keep my ass off the ground. My feet were, my feet were froze. I, I thought I lost a toe over that, but that was that was a great. It was a four-hour spot and stock laying in the cold on the ground, waiting for all that to happen. But so much happens so fast, you forget about, you know, all the chills and all the cold had went away all of a sudden, and then I was able to. Then as soon as you let go, then it all comes, you know, right back yep. ten times as bad. But it was that's one of the best hunts I had been on. I'd yeah. had a couple similar to that, but that was the best one. I had to buck coming right up behind me, you know, that was crazy. That's a that's a great story, you know, and little little did you know, like that big one could see him over there also. That was working in your <laughs> yeah. favor big time, you know. But I got a question for you, Chad. When you talk about I've heard you say always having like a grunt tube and rattling antlers with you early on in your years. Do you, in your opinion, um, you look back at those early years to now, do you feel like that, that calling is still as effective as it was back then? Uh, I've, I've often thought that exact question. I can remember at an early stage, it's crazy, rattling. I mean, I killed a buck. I rattled, and he'd come on a, a dead sprint straight to my tree. He had slobber coming out of his mouth on both sides you know, snorting, he was pissed, and they were mad back then, and it kind of seems like, I don't know if it's, maybe people are doing it too much, maybe we've educated them over the last 15 years, it does work, but I'm going to say it doesn't work as much as it used to, mm -hmm. I mean, it, it does, I didn't have a problem rattling in deer, grunt tube works phenomenal right now, but it's almost like, the bigger the deer, the less the horns will work. I mean, for a, a certain amount of time. I've seen several deer where you bang the horns and they just go the other way. Yeah. I mean, it, it's not the magic, you know, cure-all, I don't think. But I, I don't know. I'd probably, I've thought the exact same thing many times. And the minute I think that it's not as good as it used to be, I don't know if it's because maybe I was so worked up when I was in my 20s that I thought it was the best thing ever or – if maybe it don't work as good now, but I don't know. I don't know. I've thought the same thing. I, I just don't know exactly. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, I can say the one thing that, that's probably definitely has changed is that I don't think anyone's duct taping the grunt call to their, <laughs> to their arms. And that, and, and that may be the difference now. <laughs> no. And you that's you remember thing. though, they had that tube with that strap on it that you put on. <laughs> I remember when they came out, I'm the like, primos, shit. Uh, the Primos buck roar or whatever. Yeah, there you go. I'm like, shit, I did that a long time ago. I could have been making a lot of money. <laughs> Chad's thought of everything beforehand, just never took it to yeah. market. Yep. <laughs> uh, well, Chad, it, tell it me. Well. 
he very well could have been on the market. We're just down here in the sticks and didn't know about it. Yeah, well, that's exactly right. I mean, your guys' local bar was a was a what is it? The old police, the bank, the bank. Yeah, it's an old, old bank. bank. It turned into a bar. <laughs> <laughs> Drinking in the vault. <laughs> yeah, whatever you need to do to get a beer, that's what we'll do. Yeah. yeah. Chad, tell me the story about uh, your typical 184, the one that you shot in the cedar tree that the combine went by you. Combine? That was a that was a giant deer. So that big. was that deer still to this day is the nose, the head of that deer was one of the biggest. Just remember the size. The, that's when I talk, remember the most of is the size of its ears. How big and how like muley they look, just so big and floppy. I'm thinking, holy shit, look at the size of this deer's head. But that that deer was that deer was that was awesome. We first seen that deer see youth season with my oldest boy went in there try to kill him. He was we glassed him from the road again. We saw him in the alfalfa. He'd come out the alfalfa field, walk the fence row. We had all them places to hunt, and we set up, I don't remember, a couple different spots. With a, Of course, the kid was little. We had to have a pop-up blind because he wouldn't sit still. And he just – we never spooked him, I don't think, but he just never never presented a shot for us in youth season, and that would have been late September. You know, and then I didn't see him. He kind of – he kind of just disappeared on us for a while. And those guys, Chris and Casey, were here, and, and they went to Kansas, I think, to hunt or something. They left their cameraman here. And I'm like, shit, let's, let's go set in the tree, you know. Maybe we can kill that deer. So we, we went out. I took a stand. And, it, again, this took four days. So this is the field I was seeing him in. And this little – it wasn't a food plot, but it, you couldn't pick – a better spot for a food plot if you tried but this farmer insisted on he combine it and plant it which there was no corn there when he ever combined it because the deer ate it all but i'm like just from the years of being in there there's tons of deer in there so we walked down i went like four cedar trees in we went up packed two ladder or two lock-ons in sat there the first night saw a bunch of does standing corn but it once you got up there you could see how the corn was devastated. I mean, it was just, there was runs in it every direction. It was knocked down. There wasn't, I could have shot deer in the standing corn. That's how thin it was. So I'm like, oh, this is perfect, you know. And you're going in after this deer, right? Yeah, that's the deer I wanted to kill because I knew he was in the area. We'd saw him. But it here we're like October 18th, I think, and it was probably around the 1st of October into September when we tried to get him with the youth season. So, I figured he, he was in there. We didn't have any cameras, you know, back then set up. So we went in there and set the first day, saw a bunch of deer. Second day, I don't even think we hunted the morning. I think we hunted the evening. Same thing. We saw a couple of real nice buck, like 155, 160-inch buck. You know, hell, he was 15 yards. We could have shot him easily, but I'm, that's, not, that's not the one, you know. And then the third day, we sat in there. I think we hunted morning and evening, and I think I saw him in the distance through the trees because the place was surrounded by cedar trees come all the way around except for one side. And then the, the fourth day we went in there. No, the third day we, he was combining. 
That's what it was. We're sitting in the tree, and here comes the combine, and, and Jake's like, ah, oh, God damn, here comes the combine. Oh, no. I said, that's a good thing. I mean, that's you can't ask for a better dinner bell than a combine around here because as soon as they combine, the deer just get all the spillage and whatever falling off, you know. So he, he combines, and it was so funny because if you, if you watch the video, you see the combine go by, and you can see the unload auger in the combine, and there's just like little specks of yellow because he's not getting any corn out of the field. It's just tinkering in the combine. You can hear it tinking in the I'm like it ain't even worth combining, you know. He combines the whole field, takes him like 15 minutes, 20 minutes, and he leaves. And then the deer just they just start coming like this. They all because that smell. I mean that smell, the aroma of that combine, that cut up stalks. It's it's so strong. They just come in there. They're just, they just keep coming. I bet there's 40 of them in there. We're talking about three acres, 40, 50 does, a couple small bucks. And the next day, I'm like, yeah, we're going, we got to go in there the next day. Like the next two, three days are the hot time to go in there. Hell, we weren't in there. I think I shot him at 4.30. I think we got in at 3, 3.30. We got in, sat down, and the does, they just started piling in. And this deer... You know, he's almost so 26 inches. Yeah, he's like 26 inches wide. He's like this wide. Inside. <laughs> yeah. And, he, and you're, he weighed 305 pounds. And I see him. I see a deer through the, through the limbs in the tree. I don't even know how he come through. I mean, you could see him twisting his head, trying to get the antlers through. He jumps the fence. And when he jumped the fence, his front feet hit. It just thud. You could hear it. It was a whole different deer. He carried himself. Totally different. He walked. He was the boss. And he went around and he checked every doe. And he nudged them and he pushed them. And there was like three of them. They all eventually worked their way in front of us. There was like three in front of us. The rest of us were like 40, 50, 60 yards down there. And he hit them all. And then he saw the three up by us and he turned and started walking. I'm like, holy shit, you know, here he comes. And he got to 30, there's 31 yards, and he stopped, and he bent down, and he picked up an ear of corn, and he picked the whole ear of corn and he had in his mouth, he was rolling it in his mouth. And he was just, he was having a time of his life, you know. And I just set up and just dumped him right there, and he only ran about 60 yards. Just around the corner, and he fell over dead. But, hell, I didn't even know if he was filming. I forgot to even ask if he was on it. If the camera was on, I didn't even, I didn't even know what he was doing back there. I just killed the deer, <laughs> you know, and I asked, oh, shit, were you filming? Oh, yeah, he said, I was filming, but <laughs> yeah. we got pretty lucky. I never even asked him. I was, first instinct was to kill that deer, but to walk up on something, very seldomly do you walk up and they get bigger. Mm -hmm. I mean, it varies, even for me, that don't, that never happens. But when he was, his body was, I mean, the two of us had a hell of a time getting him in the truck. Yeah, that 300 pounds of dead weight is horrible to you know pick up, but just to hold. Go ahead. It was, yeah, just to hold him. I mean, his whole head. It was it was amazing. Well, how big did you think he was before you actually got him on the ground? Like how like how how much do you think he scored? So I convinced myself he wasn't that big, and I, I don't know why because when we saw him in youth season, I knew he was a booner. I knew he was a booner, and I wanted my kid. To kill, we even called and had a camera guy sent down, and he was with us. We hunted three, four days and tried to kill this deer, and we couldn't get him killed. 
But when I hunted him, uh, for some reason, I don't know, I convinced myself that he wasn't as big as I thought he was. And I think it was mainly because of the size of his body. But after, you know, on the, on the walk up, it, that's when it really started to set in that he's 180 some inch deer. And I, I was going to guess him, you know, 70, 75, which he's I, he's typical, know, right? He's just clean. Typical. Yeah. Just a typical. And it was the pure width because he, he didn't look like he was that tall. Cause his time his his beams kind of went, they kind of go up. Mm-hmm. He don't set like a, you know, a square frame kind of, he kind of went up like this and he, like ah, you know he's big i'm gonna kill him no doubt about it. i'm gonna kill him but i didn't i didn't think he'd reach 184 inches you know i thought 80 would kill him easily me 75 but no he got big the width the width really snuck up on me I me mean, his back was you know his back was that wide and he his antlers were that wide and i'm like god he, you know he just i don't know he's he's big he's definitely gonna re- die do you remember what his beam lengths were one yeah 26 and 7 eighths i think okay is that right i don't know it's on the paper in there i'd have to look at god damn that's been a long time ago yeah <laughs> <laughs> that's been a long time ago you know what you know what know what i love though and like as much as you sit here and say that how long ago it was you remember like the way he was eating that corn or oh, yeah. we were like we we don't forget these stories you know what i mean like yeah we, we might forget uh measurement you know what it was but when it comes to the story of how it played out you you can you know you walk in anyone's house or their barn and you say tell me about that deer mount right there and boy they you you better have 20 or 30 minutes because they're <laughs> every part of that story yeah you know? but I, I love it though like this is care yeah. about it right that's you know when i took him to the taxidermist that's what i wanted was i wanted a, a big tipped up and i wanted to hear corn in his mouth and and that's how i wanted him because that's exactly how i shot him and mm-hmm. and taxidermist i think it was out of his norm you know and he he didn't want to do it he was kind of afraid he'd ruin the mount so we didn't but that was that's what i picture is that ear of corn in his mouth with his head up and he was just rolling it like that in his mouth yeah. and that's that'd have been a cool mount i've seen the yeah. footage it is crazy it's like he's you know taking a hog down the freaking, you know it, like it was though like he's literally because they don't have top teeth or whatever right and he's just rolling it in there and it's like what are you doing but he's like swallowing yeah. it whole you know yeah like, yeah geez, you don't see him with the whole cup in what you know the end of it in their mouth not sideways yeah yeah, yeah it was pretty funny it, yeah it was you, a great, hit, it was a great one you hit on something in that story too that it you know made me think of it that when you talked about a combine when they come through there and then the smell of it we're like if people are questioning that you know whether they're taking beans or corn off and say if it's not a real windy day man you can just see that shit just lingering in the air for 24 hours around there and it it is it is strong smelling man and it you're you're not wrong man it is like a dinner bell when they in as much as in today's world we can complicate the crap out of deer hunting a situation like that, hey, it's it's proven it. You can't go wrong sometimes in a situation. Yeah. I used to I used to follow the combine, the farmer. A lot of guys, I would call them. Which field are you going to combine? You know, looking for the right field that had the right deer in it to be the when they combine it. I wanted to be in that field for them two or three days because sooner or later that deer is coming out to see all them does or to get a free meal eventually. And the yeah. 
the smell it, it is i mean if you've never been in a field when it's fresh combine it's totally different it smells really strong like corn yeah. yeah, I always get it. I always get a kick out of the farmers. Like you know, you'll be talking to an old farmer around here, or wherever you live, maybe, and they may not be into deer hunting, but like you, like their stories of what they see while combining, especially oh, like yeah. corn of some of the the bucks that are in there. They're like, no, oh, he's he's a monster, you know. And yep. then all of a sudden, like a, a year later, he comes across the picture and he's like, yep, that was the one that was in that corner. I was like, dude, like. Gee, yeah. they they'll surprise you how much they'll, they'll spend time in that some of those big cornfields like that that's the best blind in the world is a combine cab mm-hmm. i mean if you're in a piece of machinery that has that steady motor you know that steady sound of the machine running not the high rev or you know slowing down it's that steady constant they don't care in the world i mean i've been in the combine and you see them in the rows and they'll just step over two or three rows and you go mm-hmm. right by and you come back, and they just step over another couple rows. They don't run. They're not scared. Well, the minute you idle it down or get out or start making commotion, then they'll run. But if it's just a machine, they don't care at all. It, yeah. They're used to that. Yeah, I've, I've seen it where, you know, whether it be a buck or a doe or whatever the case may be, I'll, even in northern Michigan, I, I've watched videos of uh, some some of the black bears doing it where it's like, they will they will hold tight to that very last row until they finally yeah. have to get out of there for the day. That that is they yeah. just keep adjusting themselves, just like you said. But also when that last row comes out and they'll finally run out the end of it, it's like man, yeah. they that just tells you how safe they feel in there sometimes. Those con- those cornfields hold an ungodly amount of deer. If you can get to some of these fields where you're the road is higher than the field. And you can see in the grass strips or you can see the grass terraces, some of the ones that are, you know, trapped in the middle of the cornfield or a terrace that ends in the middle, that's where they're going to lay. We see them in there all the time. If you can get a vantage point, you can't get it very often because that corn, hell, some of it's eight, nine foot tall. But if you can get that, that's where they'll be. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Chad, I, I everybody knows that you know age makes a deer bigger. Obviously, like just getting age on him, and 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 he'll he'll you know he'll be big, normally. But like in your in your experience, what is you know what makes other than age, what makes a deer get bigger as far as like where do where do where do they live? Like where do you see that the deer, the bigger upper echelon deer? really like to take cover and call that home is there anything out there terrain feature a cedar patch or something like that that that's where they really like to hole up in you know not not really kind of just the place that's undisturbed you know is about as good as any whether it was a cedar patch or a you know tall grass anything that's just been left alone where they can just feel undisturbed and them are the places that we like to hunt. That's why we don't go in certain places. These places are left alone. There's big places we don't go in. We just leave the deer. They got to have a place they feel safe where they can just grow and not be pushed out of. Mm-hmm. I 
I don't I mean, of course, cedars for the cover, you know, I mean, you got to have the thick cover, but the best places are the ones that are just undisturbed. You can't have the guy walking around before our tree season. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that that's the best. Yeah. Well, and that's what I was just, I was just curious. Cause you see so many deer. I mean, you see more deer than anybody I know on a daily basis because of what you do and you know, how much you drive around and, and see things like, so you, you're, you're a guy that I confide in a lot about some, you know, different things, but when it comes to big deer, man, you, you know, them. that that's, that's for damn sure. It's, it gets addictive, but then, you know, you don't even think about it anymore. I, I take guys with me and we'll go scouting. I don't even slow the truck down, you know, for the poor little three-year-olds, you know, I, I mean, they're screaming with a pair of binoculars trying to, look at these i'm like i ain't got time we, we're not here for that you know we're here for something to take pictures of and that happens a lot you know i, I you kind of i suppose you get spoiled but i mean i we live here and it is what it is you know and that's what i like to look at are the big velvet deer and that's that's what i'm stopping for i'm not stopping for a 135 inch eight pointer <laughs> well tell me this what's gonna what's gonna what's going to take getting the bow out of the case and actually taking it a field? Great so question. They, Great question. So we had a couple deer, a couple different ones in the last couple of years we had on camera and I called you. Uh, you remember when nuts, I called nutsack. you? I remember that deer nutsack. So everybody knows when you go pull a card and you put the card in and you're going through and you're just waiting for that one button and all of a sudden it's just, shit wait till that button's 226 inches because i was going through a camera and okay had... tell this whole story because this is this yeah. is a wild story so we've leased this farm it connects to a farm we have and we've hunted it for years this goes back a couple years prior to that so i had a couple guys that were archery hunting one of my buddies from california and he's like dude you got a hammer in this field he's got like a spoon ladle on the side i've been hunting this field since i was 15 years old i said bullshit uh-uh i've been in there i'm in there all i shed hunt the hell out of that this is during the say, fall right he's seen this, this deer? It, yeah this is three years prior to me finding him okay. two years prior to me finding him i'm like no way i've i've been in this field i've we have literally hunted this more than anything that we have i've never even seen a drop time deer in this field oh i'm telling you the next day he shot at it and he nicked it on the lower part of his leg. And he's like, it's big. He goes, dude, it's got, it's got trash everywhere. It's big. I'm like, damn, really? Really? You know, cause I've I got trail cameras in there. I have for years and I got nothing. I got nothing. And I'm like, damn, I hear some pretty wild stories in this business. You know, I'm like, <laughs> Okay. Uh, I'm a, I'm the kind of guy that only believes in my own eyes most of the time. So we go shed hunt. We shed hunt the shit out of it. Nothing. Just, just regular sheds. No, no craziness. So the next year on the, the, the south half of that section, we leased it. And we we're putting up cameras. And I, I'm like, if it's in here, I'm fine. I put like five truck cameras up. And then I had this Moultrie that's, no less than 25 years old. It takes the worst pictures in the absolute world. And it's the only camera I had left. 
and I'm like, let's put it in that little bitty finger, clear on the other side all by itself. This, this, this thing is a little bitty finger. So we put it in there, and then we leave. And I don't go back in there. I, went, I don't remember when I called. Sometime in August, maybe. Maybe it was August. Maybe it was September. Hell, I don't remember. It was sometime in there. I go pull cards, and I go back. I got nothing on the other cameras, but our average bucks. And I'm going through this Moultrie. I got like 5,000 pictures on this card, and it's all of a weed. It's going like this. <laughs> and I'm like, you got to be shitting me. I put wasted all that time. So I go back, and I just hit the scroll, and it just like a slot machine. The thing just – I mean, there, there's so many pictures. And I stop it, and I check it, and it's still the weed. And I just go a couple clicks, bam, right in the front is the 226-inch deer in full velvet. This thing had 72 inches of drop times on it. It's on the worst camera you could possibly want. And I'm like, you got to. I almost fell over at my, you know, at my desk. And I pick up my phone and I'm like, I got to call. I got to, <laughs> I got to call somebody. I got to, yep. I got to tell somebody. I think I called, I called, I called you. I think I called yep. Casey. Yep. This thing is a freaking G. Like, this is beyond giant. It was so big. And he was on that camera from that moment on. He was on that camera constantly. E even when he stripped velvet and everything? Yep. Uh, he was yep. on that camera and, we put a ladder stand. That camera was 125 yards from a ladder stand that we had that I had predicted. That would, I mean, this this was a good spot. Before I even knew that that deer was in there, I'm like, this is – you're going to kill him out of that ladder stand. I would bet money on it. So me and Matthew and Bo, we made the deal that I'm just going to eat this lease and one of us is going to kill this deer on camera. So we did. And we were going to film it. That oldest kid of mine is supposed to be going to college. <laughs> supposed to be. Living at home, going to school. Yeah, he was bow hunting. He wasn't going to. He was skipping class. And he was, uh, he was hunting that farm in that ladder stand by himself. And, of course, you got to walk through CRP, you know. And he, he found it dead in there. And he called me, and he found it. So we called the DNR. This was like November oh, 6th, 4th, 5th, 6th. He was walking was to his tree, wasn't he? Yep. He was walking yeah. to his tree, and then he, he'd found it. And he called He called me. We went out there, and he called the DNR. They come out there and did their little CSI investigation that they do. And the best they could figure was maybe he got hit and it died. But there was no bullet holes in it. There was, and it was in the middle of the field. So I don't, I don't know. Yeah, but it was dead out there and we got Man. to keep the rack and but i mean it was it was brutal to see that thing die because you don't i'll probably never see that again i mean i've looked through hundreds of thousands of sd cards in my time and to just be clicking through there and the next click is i mean it just took up the whole screen he was looking and it was full velvet and i don't know how else better to describe what it looked like <laughs> I mean, the velvet, it just looked like a nutsack. And I'm like, I don't name any deer, but I know what I'm going to call this deer right here. Do you have him right there or do you have him mounted? You no, know, he's, he's right here. 
grab them yes, so David can see that drop time. It is, it is, dude. This is unreal. When he calls me and sends me this picture, I'm like, what in the hell is that? Jeez. Can you see that right there? <laughs> I can. So the velvet, wow. you know. I mean, this whole thing looked like a sack, and you could see them, them bulging. Oh, <laughs> I'll let yeah, Chad. Right. I'll have you send me a picture of them, and uh, if you don't mind, I'll put them on social yeah. media so people listening can see it. Yeah, you. Yeah, I mean that. That's all. Like Aaron and I just talked about this the other day. I says, you know, I says if I ever get the chance to shoot, you know, or even hunt, say a two hundred inch deer, I I selfishly want to see them in a velvet first. Like cause yeah. I, yeah. I'm a I'm a velvet junkie, dude. Like in the summertime, that is my favorite. But you know, you said. 72 inches of drop tines we have three-year-olds in michigan that don't even grow that much on top of their head you know, like, <laughs> this deer nutsack's got that much you know growing underneath his main beams like that, that's unreal but i you know there is something there's something of, to me that's like these stories of some of these these just world-class animals like that and even some of these you know the the famous deer we've all seen in museums and magazines where it's like it's it's ironic how some of these are never killed by a human. You know what I mean? Oh, we're yeah. like, but they're found. They're they're all found usually, but yeah. they're never killed by a human. Where it's like, man, there's there's just something about animals of that caliber. But you know, yeah. and and here's the thing, Chad. You talk about the boy supposed to be in college. I bet you his dad would have been doing the same damn thing. When he <laughs> yeah, <100%. his> <laughs> so Chad can't yeah. be mad because he would have done the yep. same thing. Yep. Yeah, you, yep. you know, I had to be mad in front of his mom, but, yeah. you know, yeah. secretly I was like, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Fist bumping. Yep. yep. Poor, poor Jamie. <laughs> <laughs> we, I'm going to tell you, we had that phone call from the school several times. Matthew's not in school. Some of the, you know, Bo, where, where are your boys at? Well, I knew exactly where they were. They were in a tree somewhere. They didn't go to school that day. <laughs> yeah, they could be doing much worse. <laughs> yeah. Yep, for sure. So Chad, before we before we commence here, I gotta we gotta bring a story up. And this is kind of an inside story, so hopefully people listening can get, you know, a little bit out of it. But I think you might know where I'm gonna go with this. <laughs> um so back in two thousand nineteen when Casey and I were there hunting with you, uh Chad's got a suburban that he drives his this drives so his good. clients around in okay so this suburban is a piece of shit okay it's not that bad <laughs> well okay it's it sits in the weeds for four <laughs> or eight months of the year and then you get it out for the fall like really three months yeah you know much. and if it doesn't run he'll fix it and he'll get it running because he's you know cheaper and shit which i don't blame you i, I squeak when i walk but chad i think if i remember right so chad's got a whole bunch of he's got a lot of goats Okay, and he puts you know when he goes and gets his goats, he puts them in the back of this bourbon to to get them home. You know, this is like it's like robbing big stuff on MTV. You know, back in the day when they had the mini yeah. horse in there and everything. Yeah. But anyway, so the story goes on that I think you were I think I don't know why we were with you. You came and picked us up or something like that one morning. We I think what happened is we got pinned in the tree one morning. And our truck was on the other mile road, and you, and we were closer to a different. And he's like, he's like, I'll yeah. just come and get you guys and bring you around the section. Well, little did I know, Chad has no brakes, no <laughs> brakes in the bourbon. Okay, 
<laughs> and there was somebody with us who one of your clients was with us. Yeah, I want to say somebody with us. Yep. And uh, so we're in this suburban that's already a a, a piece of work. Okay. And uh, Chad's trying to get every bit of life out of this thing. So the roads in Iowa are two track trails, basically, you know, and if, if there's no limestone on them, they are slick and, you know, you get a little bit of grade, you're going to be, you're going to be going for a ride. Well, we come up to this hill and we're going to come down this hill. And when you look down this hill, it's a T corner. Okay. There's a main road that we're going to, but past that T corner is a complete drop off on the other side <laughs> into the ditch. <laughs> And Chad goes, I can't remember what you said or whatever. And he's, he's get. We're going to go down this hill with no brakes. And I'm like, how are we going to do this? I'm freaking out, freaking out. Freaking out. You screaming in the back oh, seat. Bad deal. Bad deal. I'm like, I do not want to die today. Yeah. You know, and, Ch- and Chad, the thing I think that got me so worked up is you were just like, this is just another Tuesday. Aaron. Like, you know, it's just like, just sit back and relax. We'll be home in a minute, you know? I'm like, there's no way. I start opening the door, trying to get out, and Chad's like, nope, we're going. So we're going down this hill. I'm like, there's no way. I'm freaking out. My asshole's puckering up. It, you know, you couldn't fit a grease BB up there. It was so tight. And I'm like, <laughs> there's no way we're making this turn because it's, it, you know, you got to turn left. And what if there's a car coming? By God, he he throttled down however he did it and just made the turn and we're off. And I'm like, oh, my God, what are we doing? <laughs> But I, I remember going down that, that dirt road, picked up that, that other client that I had, and we were coming back, and them hills were. Oh, yeah. And that, because I just, you know, you give her hell because you're out. In the, I mean, you don't ever find a car, meet a car. I was giving it hell. We went to the, <laughs> we're going up that hill, and I stepped on the brake, and it just went. Yeah. The brake went clear to <laughs> the floor, and there was nothing. I'm like, oh, shit. This ain't going to be good. No. <laughs> Casey was laughing in the front. Aaron, he when he said he had the door, he was gonna jump out the pickup or the suburban into the ditch. Yeah, because he didn't want to go down that hill. No, nope. didn't want to. It literally, you, I've been on roller coasters that I was more safe on. I felt like, you know, <laughs> Chad just going fine. I've done it my whole life. Don't worry yeah. about it, boys. No, it's exactly as <laughs> he knew exactly what he was doing. I'm like, no, nah, I'm not cool with this. Like, he, you know. he knew when he. he he knew whereabouts he needed to jam it and park for a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Can, well, I think we'll probably downshifted the low, maybe threw it reverse once or twice, get her to slow down, and then get around the corner. Feather the e-brake a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> you buy those $1,500 Suburbans, that's what I do on Craigslist, and then you haul guys around in them because, you know, you just trash them anyway. And, uh, then you just throw them away and buy another one. But I got like seven years out of that one, so it was pretty good. You don't have it anymore? Oh yeah, I still got it. Oh yeah. my, dude, it was old when I was there at nineteen. <laughs> I it, it's pretty rough. We got stuck on a, so I was going to pick up a guy, and I like to drive with my lights off in the fields to pick people up. So I don't, oh, I just like to do it. I was driving through this, and I've been in this field a million times, and I was driving, and Bo, he was Bo was little, he was riding with me, and I hit the drainage tile. But it was a metal six-inch pipe, not the plastic ones like they have now. And I hit it, and I took the whole front of the Suburban straight up in the air on top of that pipe. And there we sat with the front tires not even touching the ground <laughs> with the <laughs> Suburban like that, going up in there. 
it was terrible. We had to just put her in four wheel drive and give it hell and get it off the pipe. Face go picking somebody up. I'm, <laughs> I'm, uh, I've seen memes like that on the internet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what it was. <laughs> Chad, okay, we're not done with stories. I need you to tell everybody your best trespasser story run in. What what would that be? Because I know you've ran into a lot of trespassers that they were not supposed to be there. You know, I was maybe thinking about the guy that you pulled up that underneath the stand and said, you better get down or I'm coming up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there was that one. You can either get down or I'm coming up. And I don't think he believed me until I was about three steps up on the ladder. And then he started handing all the stuff down the road. <laughs> no, wait, wait. I'll, I'll come down. I'll come down. <laughs> there was... We had, well, the same farm that this deer came off of a long time ago, 10 years, 12 years ago. I had uh, I had a guy from Cabela's hunting with me, one of the guys was hunting. And he was I dropped him off, and he was back in a tree. And I went around the backside and spotting scope and was just kind of, you know, glassing around. Shit, I saw a guy just, like, walking through the trees. I'm like, what the hell? I know it's not my guy, you know. So I watch, yeah, sure enough, it's somebody back in there, you know, hunting like an Indian back in there in the trees. He comes out, he goes up over the hill, and I went around, and and it was uh, tall switchgrass in CRP fields, and he was hiding, and he wouldn't come out. He, I found his truck, and he knew I was there, and he knew he was in trouble, and he wouldn't come out. So I just got mad and just tore off, you know, it's like this tall. I couldn't even see where I was driving. And I could see him running through it, and I was just chasing him through the You were really playing Border Patrol out there? That's exactly what it was like. And then, you know, when I finally get him cornered to the fence, he can't go nowhere. He, well, I didn't know it was supposed to be over here. The uh -huh. hell you're running through six-foot-tall weeds for then? It's amazing. It's amazing the people that – trespass you know i'll never forget the story when you know you had a guy in one of your stands that wasn't supposed to be there and you pull right up right underneath the tree open up the door you look up you better get down you're not supposed to be here yeah i am i got permission nope you get down or i'm coming up and you're going up and he's like oh well, wait 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 i'll come down you're right you're yeah. right you caught me we don't have that we you know we don't really have that issue we don't really have a big trespass or problem and mostly because over the year people know they know me and I will go up the tree and, and take them out of the tree. So they don't, they don't really bother. I mean, really hardly at all. If we do it, somebody that is either new or not from the area and it, it don't happen very often. Yeah. yeah. But when it does happen, we don't put up with it. Oh, it's, it's funny to watch though. And hear the stories. Gosh, it's so funny. <laughs> but well, Chad, I, I want to thank you for coming on today. Um, anybody that, you know, might want to know more about Midwest Antler Company and hunting with you or, you know, the opportunity, like where can they find everything to get a hold of you? Um, and what's the process? Because a lot of non-residents, obviously, you know, we can't hunt for four or five years. So, you know, if, if you have a guy that is like wanting to hunt in the next couple of years in Iowa, what could they do and where do they get a hold of you? So they can get a hold of us, you know, on uh, Instagram, Facebook, we're on all those at Midwest Antler Company. We got Midwest Antler Company at Gmail, so they can Gmail us. My phone number is on all of those. They can call me anytime. I'll answer, you know, anytime. And it is, uh, you know, archery is like a five-year tag now. Mm -hmm. I mean, Iowa, they probably need to step it up and give out just a few more to get it back down to three and four where it used to be. These COVID years seem to, everybody went to doing stuff outside. 
everything went through the roof. Tags went up a whole year, you know, just like that. They went to five years, and it it, it needs to be back down to three and four. But if you want to hunt Iowa, then you, you need to start the process, you know, as soon as possible. You can get on the Iowa DNR website. They got all the non-resident stuff. You can do it all right there. Apply for it all. It's it's pretty simple. It's not a hard thing anymore. And you know, like we're in Zone Four, the southwest corner. Um, this is about as good as you're going to get to hunt whitetail as anywhere. Yeah, yeah. I'm hoping to draw next year, so I'll be coming back. I can't wait. <laughs> so yeah. But yeah, if any, even if anybody listening can't get a hold of Chad and want to get a hold of me, I've got Chad's info as well. So get a hold of me and. Um, I'll put links in the show notes and everything. So it's a lot of fun. And like Chad said earlier in this, in this, uh, podcast, you've got to experience it once in your life, you know, and, and you when you really think about it, when you're thinking of every four or five years that you would be able to go there really when you, I'm 36, like, you know, I've only probably got six more trips to Iowa yeah. in my life. So it's like, really, that's not a lot when you're thinking no. about it. So, um, Start that process and uh, hit Chad up because you'll have a hell of a good hunt and a hell of a good time, a lot of good food. Your wife, Jamie, she cooks basically all the meals and the family, you know, Bo and Cam, your daughter, didn't even mention Cam and uh, and Matthew, great family, you know, ran business, and it's it's a lot of fun, man, some big deer. Yeah, it's it, we're not real big. You know, we're pretty small. I don't, I don't have any guides. I don't have any employees of any kind. It's just me and whatever i can get them boys to do for me mm -hmm. so it i like it that way i like the small tightness of it you know we don't you don't you very rarely see many pictures that i post we don't post deer we don't we're not a bragging site we just i'll post stuff but it's just not you know deer pictures very often yeah i like the low, the low key I'm, I'm down here i'm just fine with being down here yeah well cool like jack Thank you very much, man, for doing this. And uh, I know we'll do it again, especially if I come next year. I'll get you on a podcast face-to-face. -face, so we'll do <laughs> Not it. Not a problem. Sure. Thanks a lot. Yep, Thanks, no problem. Chad. You bet.